0: I uh, hope you guys are well. This is part two of our series called Elephant in the Room. It's only a two-part series, so it's just this week and last week. And, you know, that's good because we don't want to talk for politics forever. We don't want to talk about it. And I think many of you, as I've heard a thousand times in the last three days, is I just can't wait till this election is over. <laughs> Anybody else feeling that way? Like, I just, now that's, everybody could agree on that. Like, I just want this election to be over um, at this point, and that's what I'm hoping for. Um, so we're doing two weeks on politics, really because it's on everybody's mind, and it's really like the hot-button thing of, our, of this past season we've been in. Um, last week, somebody told me that they invited a friend to church, and their friend was in a regular tender at church, and they sat down, and I said, hey, we're talking about politics today, and their friend said a cuss word in church. They said, oh, great, I came to this church. But the good news is she left positive, I think, and she had a good... Attitude, and she, she was happy about what we said. Last week we talked not necessarily about who you should vote for and why, it was more about don't let politics become your idol. And don't let politics become your idol, don't let politics become your master. Jesus is king, politics are a second. And also, Christians shouldn't look to, towards politicians to do what we're really called to do. And we shouldn't just give to politicians what God really wants the church to be in charge of and do, and put our hope in that. Um, so the message to, to, of today can really be applied in any of area of our life, any area of our lives as a church, but we're applying it to politics. And I don't know if it's the Baptist college I went into, but this sermon has three Ds, okay? You guys ever go to a Baptist church where they had like the three points and they all started with the same letter? That's what it is today. So you and your wife can giggle and try to guess what the next D is and the next point, okay? Because that's what you do when you go to a Baptist church you try to guess what the pastor's three Ds are. Um, but we're gonna be talking about politics when we talk about the church in politics as you guys know I just want to reiterate whenever we talk about the church we are not talking about the building you know this building is a is a building that the church meets in but really when we talk about church it's the people of God like we here in this building all of us 40-some people are the church when you meet in your missional community That is the church meeting. And, you know, Jesus said, where two or more are gathered, I am with you. And so we know that here we're talking about the church, and we want to keep that in the forefront of our mind. So the first D is this. Politics should not divide the church. Politics should not divide the church. The second D is politics should not blank the church. You guys can guess that later. Divide. There's two more Ds. I'll, I'll let you think about them but the first is important, politics should not divide the church. I think we could all agree on this. Nothing we do, nothing should divide us as a church, especially, especially this. So here's a scenario I've seen played out many times in many different settings. You know, I was at J Road in 2016 during the last election and I was at my last church in the previous two elections before that. Um, and this is the scenario. You walk into church, you, you, you park your car, and you go to walk in, and the car in front of you has a bumper sticker that says, I'm riding with Biden. And your blood starts to boil because you're upset. And you walk in, you're like, how could a Christian have that bumper sticker? And you get upset, you walk in, and you begin to think about whose you know, car is that out there that has that, and you start to get upset. You see that a divide, <laughs> a divide has already started to happen. Second scenario, opposite way. President Trump was in town last weekend for a rally. You get on your Facebook just to see how your Saturday, Saturday's going. And then you see a couple of your Facebook friends are closet Trump fans. And they were at the rally. And they were waving a Trump flag. And they were singing Trump's praises. And now your blood's boiling. And you're upset. And you're like, they're in my missional community. Great, I can't go to missional community anymore. I'm gonna be thinking about them waving the Trump flag. And, and you see how the divide happens in the church, and we start to like, there starts to be a dividing point. Where then we start to see, not each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, but we start to see each other as Republicans and Democrats. And that's where a rift begins to happen in the church. And not a very good rift. And, and problems start to happen. And, that, and then division started, and there's a rift. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 10 on the screens. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, very simple verse. Let there be no among you. Like that was Paul's biggest thing for this chapter is let there be no divisions among you. This is not good, he's saying. And what's dividing you? And really what divides you should only be what really unites us, and that's the person of Christ. And we're all united around Christ. And so all these other things shouldn't divide us. And Paul knew that one of Satan's biggest tactics to divide to, uh, for the church is to divide. That's really a military tactic, right? Divide and conquer. Get people fighting. Get people upset at each other. And when you got the church, us, that's supposed to be united and tight-knit and close, once you get them fighting and divided, Satan's already won. Because our mission isn't happening. We're not—like— ta- at elder meetings, we're not talking about, what's this next big ministry event? We're talking about, hey, there's a fight in the church now. You know what I mean? Have you guys ever been a part of a church like that? Where like the board meetings, instead of talking about progress for the kingdom of God, we're just dealing with squabbles about masks? <laughs> it's like, really? Is that what God wants us to be fighting about in, these, in our leadership meetings as a church? Is that what God wants missional communities to break up about, is a mask? Is, is, that, is that really honors God? No, and, and really, Satan's winning in all of it if these if divides start to happen. See, politics are in the news, they're in social media, they're on— even the Christian radio station has political ads now. It's kind of funny. I'm like, why do you guys just have, like, like blinds.com or something? Why do you got to have political ads on your, the Christian radio station? But what happens is everywhere you turn, politics and social media, and, and I truly believe this, it's meant to push you further and further away from each other. It really is. Like the, the ads that you see in social media, this is meant to like push you further and further into your camp. And what the word that it's used is what's called political tribalism. Political tribalism. And that's where you, know, you become part of your tribe and your tribe becomes your politics. And so you become further further pushed into your tribe. And, you love your tribe, you get a warm feeling when you're around your tribe, and then you start to hate the other tribe, right? You start to see, what's wrong with these people? Like, what's wrong with these people? Why don't they see things the way I see things? And then we become divided over our tribe. And so we developed a camp. As a church, we should not fall into any tribe other than the only tribe that we should belong to is the body of Christ, amen? Amen. And the body of Christ is our, is our tribe. And, and that's what we're a part of. And that's what Jesus came for. That's what Jesus died for. That's what co- communion is. And that's why I said there should be no division because you're united by the body of Christ. And so nothing else should really divide you. Not, no other side issue should divide you. That's it. If there's somebody in the church that's teaching another way to heaven, if there's somebody in the church saying Jesus didn't rise from the dead, or Jesus isn't who he says he is, sure, that should cause us to— that's like a wolf in sheep's clothing in the church, and that should cause us to talk. And, and, but these little side things shouldn't divide the church. So I have a pretty big verse for us in this, in this section. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, another one of Paul's letters to the church in Corinth. Um, and this passage is long, but it really talks about the different parts of the church. And really is, we want the church to be united, but we're not going to be unified in every form of thought. And that's really okay. We're going to have people that have different leanings, different bents, different, different differences in the body of Christ. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, what it says. And this is talking about the church. In verse 12, it says this. There is one body, but it has many parts. It's talking about your body. Like your body has many parts. You have arms, legs, fingers, eyes, ears, so on. There is one body, but it has many parts. But all its many parts make up one body. It is the same with Christ. We were all baptized by one Holy Spirit, and so we are formed into one body. It didn't matter whether we were Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free people. We were all given the same spirit to drink. So the body is not made up of just one part. It has many parts. Suppose that the foot says, I am not a hand. So I do not belong to the body. By saying this, it cannot stop being part of the body. And suppose the ear says, I am not an eye, so I don't belong to the body. By saying this, it cannot stop being part of the body. The whole body, if the whole body were an eye, how could it hear? If the whole body were an ear, how could it smell? God has placed each part in the body just as he wanted it to be. See how that's important to the church. Verse 19. If all the parts were the same, how could there be a body? As it is, there are many parts, but there is only one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, it is just the opposite. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are the ones that we can't do without. You know, like, like the big toe is so little, but so important for your balance. <laughs> little, little. the big toe is nothing. Actually, the big toe is pretty important. The Achilles heel behind your heel, very small, very, very important. Can't do without it. Can't walk without it. Okay, verse 23. The parts that we think are less important, we treat with special honor. The private parts aren't shown. You're like, where are you going with this, Pastor? No. Where's Paul going with this? The private parts aren't shown. But they are treated with special care. The parts that can be shown don't need special care. But God has put together all the parts of the body, and he has given more honor to the parts that didn't have any honor. Verse 25 is important. In that way, the parts of the body will not take sides. All of them will take care of one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part shares in its joy. You are the body of Christ. Each one of you is part of it. Can I get an amen? Amen. Like, that's like this verse right here is talking about Jericho Road Church. It's talking about the people of Jericho Road Church. We're not all going to be the same, we're all going to have different gifts. We're all going to be good at different things. We're, and this is the thing, too. We're all going to be passionate about different things. The Sheelers might be passionate about the lost, and evangelism is their heartbeat. And they're going to say, Pastor, we need to evangelize way more than we are. And, you know, the Zellers might be passionate about equipping. Hey, we need to teach people the Bible. Like, it's so important. We got to teach people the Bible. And then, you know, the Marshals might be like, hey, we got to be sending out missionaries. Like, we got to send people to, like, we got to send out people and make sure we're not getting stagnant. And you realize that every one of them is right. Like, every one of them is right. God has put passions on each one of us for the, bu- for the building up of the church. And that's kind of the part of the, the elder's role is to, and the pastor's role, is to make sure that everybody's voice is being heard and that there is some sort of well-roundedness to the church. Because if the church only focuses on evangelism, then we would be baby Christians forever, right? If the church only focused on Bible teaching and, like, In equipping, and we only did equip use to train up the body, then where would we reach people? Do you see how it's important? So we're going to have different passions and different leanings, and that's that's totally okay. There's different parts of the Bible. And at this verse the same, the whole body needs to work together like a symphony, all playing its different parts. And really, we're going to be different in certain ways. Things are going to make you more upset than they're going to make me upset, and that's just the way it is. Things that—we're going to have different leanings, we're going to have different ways. And so you might be asking, how can we live in peace with each other? Like somebody's so different, they just make me so mad. How can we live in peace? And I think the answer to that, and the, the redundant answer I'll always give, is love. The Bible says put on love for one another. I want you to love one another. And it's saying it's a choice. Love isn't the feeling that you get and you either have or you don't have. It's saying you've got to love people even if they make you mad. You've got to love people even if they're different than you. In the church, you might not see the world the same way they do, but you've got to love them. You've got to care for them. Look what it says here in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 says, And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts, it's saying the one virtue that binds them all together is love. Somebody offends you, put on love. Like, forgive. Think about how many times you've offended God, and God still forgave you. Think about how many times you've wronged God, and God's, and God's forgiven you. And like, every time, it's saying put on Christ and put on love. So here's one of my challenges in this first, first D, is this. If our core value is diversity, if one of our core values as a church is diversity, how are we going to live that out? Because if we're saying we're diverse, and I'm not just talking about racially, but I'm talking about different types of diversities. Racially is important in that too. But if we are diverse, that means that we're going to have differences in our church, all within the same body of Christ, all within believers but there's gonna be differences and when that happens when that actually happens we get like oh they're different than me oh they they cook their noodles different than me when they cook they're, they're weird you know whatever it is whatever the differences are they ra- they they raise their kids different they clean they take care of their car different they do this different and then we get mad it's like we're not all gonna be the same and our differences shouldn't upset you okay and so we should learn to embrace our differences a couple examples I'll give you I'll give you four quick ones we're gonna have a diversity of spiritual growth here at, at J Road there's gonna be everybody isn't on the same playing field spiritually right can we all agree to that like some of us are gonna be spiritual pros some of us are gonna be spiritual noobs some of us are gonna be like not even Christians that come here on a Sunday morning and we got to recognize that that's gonna be here too um, And so when people walk in and we're all different spiritual levels, some not even Christians, some have been Christians for like two days, and some have been Christians for 20 years, we got to realize that we're not all going to be in the same playing field. And what I mean by that is you see somebody acting different, you make assumptions, being like they're different, they're doing this, they're doing this. Like, well, they've been a Christian for like two weeks. What do you expect? You expect them to live exactly like you do, who's been knowing Christ and been sanctified for 20 years now? No, we're going to be different. We're gonna make stupid decisions. It's the same way, like, like, if we want to have, like, a great college ministry at J-Road and, like, really minister to college-age people, guess what? We're going to get college-age problems. <laughs> and that's sort of the problem is when churches try to start a college-age ministry and minister to college kids, they get so frustrated. And I'm like, do you remember what you were like when you were 20? <laughs> you probably weren't anywhere near a church. And now these people are in church, they're making 20-year-old mistakes, and you're, And you're holding it against them like they're supposed to be a 40-year-old Christian. Do you know what I mean by that? And it's like realizing that there's diversity in the church and there's diversity we're all at different places spiritually. Um, There's diversity in political ideologies. We have an assumption that, we talked about this last week, if you believe your party is God's party, you're mistaken. If you believe your candidate is God's candidate, you're mistaken. Um, Each party has flaws. And I told you guys how I would vote. I would go to God's word. I would look at what the candidate's policies stand for. I would line it up against God's word and pray about it and then vote. But realize that my future is not hung on that decision either. My future is hung in Jesus Christ and nothing else. So there's going to be differences of political ideologies. And we could talk about those and embrace those. There's going to be div- diversity of age. There's going to be diversity of age. Some folks are going to be young. Some people are old, like we talked about. There's going to be some college age. There's going to be some people in their 80s. And we gotta realize that in our missional communities, if we have people of diverse age, that should be a benefit, not a problem, right? We, it's what the church is here for, to learn for people that been there, they've been on the road longer than us, and not look down on people that are younger than us, give young people a shot. Um, diversity of race, we've, we've talked about this. You know, we want to, as church, like we want our church to be as diverse as Muskegon. So we're gonna set out on this path to, and it's going to be a multi-year path but they say is Sunday morning is the most segregated time in America you know steel neighborhood is you know it's it's fairly diverse I mean it's not all one race and we want to look as diverse as steel neighborhood and in ten years we definitely should in five years we should and it's and it's gonna be something to push against because this is the difference we tend to gravitate towards people like us we tend to gravitate towards people who have the same income as us isn't that true Like, people that live in, like, a rich, rich, like, neighborhood, they're not really going to be hanging out in the trailer park. It's just the way it is. And then we gravitate towards our income levels, and the church has to fight against that. We gravitate towards our cultures, and we got to push against that a little bit. We gravitate towards our race, and with that's culture. And so, and I say that, like, here's a good example. When we, at, at the house in Superior, where we have a J Road house, we throw block parties. We used to throw block parties there quite a bit. We haven't, you know, especially in the season we're in now, throwing block parties. But we throw block parties, and a lot of people who come to those block parties are black folks. And the people who put on the block parties are a bunch of white folks. And so the black folks come, and they're like, this is all like white people barbecue food. <laughs> and it's like, what do you mean? Like, and, and for me, honestly, I came from the whitest demographic town that you've ever seen. We didn't have a black person in our school, we didn't have a black person for 20 miles. And I honestly like didn't even meet a black person till I was 18 years old and in like that like that's just the reality of the town I grew up in very very white my family and my family's family and what it is is I had to realize that when I do something to try to reach a culture I have to try to understand the culture I try to get make friends like honestly unless I myself start to have some black friends we're never gonna like reach black people because I don't know like we're different we're different and there's gonna be different cultures and and stuff and so We, like, that was one of the funniest things we realized is, is everything about this was geared towards what we like, and it was not towards what they like. And you see the difference? Like, pasta salads at every white barbecue, it's not really at every black barbecue. (laughs) The first thing they said is, where's the hot sauce? Like, we didn't bring any hot sauce. It was not one thing that we have. It's not like a staple. Ours is ketchup and mustard and mayonnaise. You know what I mean? Like, we have to understand that there's differences and understand to bend and appreciate and accept those things and love them. And so we want to reach people of all different types. So find joy in unity. Find joy in unity that we all come around the same table and we eat from the same loaf. That's communion. The loaf that we eat from is, the, is a loaf of Jesus, the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That's the communion table. We can all find unity around that and we all can be unified. Amen? All right. The second D is, the first is politics should not divide the church. The second is politics should not distract the church, okay? Nobody had the courage to guess. Distraction is very important. Like, distraction is something that we need to keep at the forefront of our minds. Have Anybody ever here ever seen the movie Up? The, the Pixar movie Up? Remember the dog who could talk because he had the little thing? Yeah. He's like talking and telling a squirrel, and he just sees like the squirrel, and he keeps getting distracted because he sees a ball or a squirrel. You know that's like what I think about when I think of distraction, um, and and when we think of distraction, it's very um, it's very important that the church doesn't get distracted off our mission, like we talked about. Very important. And, and look at Second Timothy chapter two verse twenty-three. This is in the NIV, and this the way it's phrased here is beautiful, and you might this might resonate with some of you. In Second Timothy, it says this: Don't have anything to do with foolish or Stupid arguments (laughs) because, you know, they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, and not resentful. And, like, this was written before Facebook, (laughs) right? (laughs) Don't have anything to do with stupid arguments. Anybody here ever get caught up in a really stupid argument and then you're mad and you're like, why am I even arguing about this? This is just a big, fat distraction. And I like how he says that. He says, it's just the the Lord's servants shouldn't be doing this stuff. We have to think about this. Is this argument even worth having? Some are. 90% aren't. 90% aren't. Some are. And and I'm sure most of you have been involved in that. And distractions are so underrated, the church gets distracted so easily. I'm very happy with our new mission as a church. Our new mission, if you haven't heard it or if you haven't said it already, is jericho church is our purpose is to reach the lost equip the found and send the willing reach equip send reach equip send like we keep that's everything everything we do should fit in that model right now we're being equipped to be the church right like that's what's happening right now some sundays are going to be totally devoted towards reaching every 12th is sending like everything fits in these molds if we do a men's breakfast like we're supposed to be doing sometime in the winter like that's going to be an equipping breakfast and so it's like hey come here we're going to teach you how to be men of God. It's equipping. Reach, equip, send. And so we need to realize that, uh, that this is our mission, this is important, and it gives us our focus so we stay on our mission and we don't become distracted. And for some of us, we get distraction, distracted. At one day in the future, I'm going to write a book on distractions. Okay? You want to know what the title is? It's called gonna sound really sexist women stop going to Target because they go to Target they go there for a bot like toilet paper and then they spend two thousand dollars maybe that's just my wife but maybe that's you guys have a similar experience just kidding and guys don't go to Cabela's or Bath Pro Shop or Lowe's all right because they're full of distractions you know what I mean? Like, it's full of distractions. I'm not really going to write that that book, okay? Um, But Target's a big distraction. And it's called, like, we stay on mission. Uh, You know what one of married couples, one one of their biggest arguments is that I've noticed and my friends notice is this. You got, like, married couples don't have a plan for what they're going to do for the day, and it causes a fight. Have anybody ever done this? They woke up on a Saturday morning, and they're like, honey, it's Saturday. We don't have plans. What are we going to do today? And he's like, I don't know. And she's like it's the weather's nice let's do something it's like I don't know and then they just fight all day instead of actually having a plan to do something and the goal is that they didn't have a mission for what they wanted to accomplish for that day and the day slipped away and now they're both resentful that they didn't actually get to do what they wanted to do for that day and that happens so much vacations birthdays like we have a mission and I try to think about that like when a Saturday comes like honey what's our mission for today is it to rake the leaves? That's it? Okay. I can only handle about one mission. Yesterday my mission was Mark Carmine's daughter got married. So that was my mission, was to marry Cynthia Carmine. That's why I got these beautiful flowers up here. Because we had a wedding here at JR yesterday. So give it up for them. Cynthia's not here. And their siblings. Yeah, that was a very fun wedding yesterday. But that's really, that was my mission for the day. That's what I worked towards. That was it. You know what I mean? Like we have that in our mind. But when we don't have a plan, nothing gets done. And sometimes your plan just seems to be, hey, honey, we're going to sit and watch TV all day because we need to relax. That was your mission. It was accomplished. And so this is the point I want to make on this. The enemy of mission is distraction. The enemy of any mission is distraction. You guys know that you've been on a mission, you've been at work, and you've gotten distracted, and it totally ruined your mission. You see, Satan would want nothing more than to distract the church from their mission. If he can't divide us, He's going to distract us. And I don't know about you, but like there's so many things that distract us. And I'm getting, like I said before, I'm getting sick of like fighting over things that are a distraction. You know what I mean? Like, Like this summer we did church outside at MCS. It wasn't ideal. It wasn't my favorite thing in the world. But we got to meet. Some churches are just like getting back together. And we got to meet the whole summer, even though it wasn't ideal But the church is the body. And we were outside meeting in grass. And it was awesome. And we got to worship. We got to hear. We got to um, do child dedications. We did communion. It all happened outside and praise God. And we should be praising God for that. And instead, if you're like, I'm not going to church till we're back in the building, it's like, that's distraction. That's God. Like Satan has distracted us from what he wanted us to do. And when we get distracted, like we're distracted on mission and the church gets distracted, it's like, a fire truck who's going to put out a fire, and then it stops for some ice cream, right? It's like just stops off and says, you know what, let's get some ice cream. There's a burning building, don't worry about the ice cream. I don't know about you, but I went to this funeral one time, and you guys ever go to a funeral where like, where you have the funeral, you get in the big line and you drive to like the graveside? Sometimes it's like five miles away. Anybody ever been to that, where you drive in the processional to the gravesite? Yeah. So we did this. Somebody in the middle of the processional they saw a garage sale that they wanted to stop at. I'm dead serious. So he saw it, he turned down, like he was gonna leave the processional and hit up the garage sale, and the whole processional followed him down this road to the garage sale. (laughs) And they're like, what the heck? And he distracted everybody from what they ultimately should have been doing and caused a lot of problems. And so we all had to get back and figure out where this thing was. true story I'll tell you about that sometime Um, and it wasn't me by the way that stopped for the garage sale Um, so the enemy mission is distraction you know the other distraction you see is you see somebody who's not a believer and you want to talk to them about Jesus but the politics that they have they're just so upsetting to you you can't even approach them about their faith in Jesus, that means that politics has become a distraction, and you really become distracted from sharing the gospel. And we see that play out. We become distracted. So instead of sharing Jesus with our unbelieving friends, we resorted to arguing about politics. And so, you know, in a sense, the devil wins in that, in that regard. We got thrown off our mission. Or every 12th, this might be a little bit more personal, every 12th, like is coming up, and we already had an every 12th, and we go out and serve. And some of the places we serve at requires us to wear a mask. Like, again, I am not the mask Nazi. I don't like masks. I'm not a fan of them. But if I'm going to serve at the Muskegon Rescue Mission and they say everybody has to wear a mask, I'm wearing a mask. No biggie. I go into Meijer, got to wear a mask, got to wear a mask, no biggie. But if somebody says, I'm not going there because we have to wear a mask, then they become distracted from the mission that God's called them to. God's called you, you signed up for this to serve at the Muskegon Rescue Mission or to serve wherever, and then you found out you have to wear a mask, I'm not going. You've become distracted, and you've become divided, distracted, and that's on you. Now I get it if you medically can't wear a mask. I understand that. That's a different story. But if you say you're just so angry because they made you wear one, you're not going, that's on you. It's not on them. The mask shouldn't stop us from being the church. The mask, you can still share the gospel through the mask. You could still speak words of truth through the mask. You'd still speak words of love through the mask. And if we have to put one on, you know, and I know I'm speaking to the choir. This is kind of the mass service, right? <laughs> like, it might be a little bit harder second service. I might have to change it up a little bit. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> never going to second service. I'm never going to first service we have to wear a mask. And I'm like, we can still speak Jesus through the mask and nobody's ever said stop sharing the gospel nobody's ever said stop you know preaching the gospel stop serving the underserved like nobody said that and mask have become a distraction to some of us so whatever your master is that will distract you Matthew chapter 6 Jesus says this and he's speaking about money but it serves for a lot of things it says no one can serve two masters for either he'll hate one and love the other Or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other whatever your master is that will distract you if politics are your master that'll distract you you'll end up serving it it goes with anything money alcohol sex politics all these things could distract us from the mission all these things have a way to become our master and distract us from the mission right and like distract us from what's really important. And so when it comes to evangelism, we need to be more concerned about people's souls than political party. And you might be saying, hey, some of these things are important. And like, hey, with politics, hey, you have to have a backbone and stand up for what you believe in. Stand up for what you believe in, have a backbone. And you know what? My mom and dad always told me, son, maybe your parents said this too, pick your battles, choose your battles. This is so important for the church to hear. Choose your battles wisely because if everything is a battle, people are just going to see you as argumentative. They're just going to see you as argumentative and always fighting. And so pick your battles and really choose what hills you want to die on. If you had to pick one or two hills that you're going to die on, choose those hills. But if you're dying on every hill, it's not going to make a lot of sense. And we get caught up in foolish or stupid arguments. The battle I'm choosing to stand firm on is this. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through him. In John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever should come to them should not perish, but have eternal life. Like these are the hills I'm gonna die on, and these are the arguments I wanna argue about. These other things are honestly, honestly just a distraction. They're just a distraction. I'm not hanging my reputation on the election. I'm hanging my reputation, my faith in Jesus Christ, and all these other good things. We need to make Jesus number one and the master of our life and not make these other things the masters. Not make anything a master, not let anything else distract us. We have to get past distractions as a church. Or instead of accomplishing our mission, we will run around chasing our own tail. And that's not good. We're either divided or we're distracted. And the last one is this politics should not disgrace the church you have divide distract or disgrace and I think of all these two they apply for families I don't know if you know this but politics have divided some families I've seen it I've seen it where hey I'm not gonna talk to you I'm mad at you guys I'm not coming home for Thanksgiving I'm so mad at this this and this I mean I saw it in the last election and so when it comes to our church family it should not divide distract or disgrace so we as Christians are really held to a higher standard, right? Like we are held to a higher standard. And I don't care who you are, if you call yourself a Christian, you go out in the world, I'm holding you to a higher standard than the rest of the world. And the people you work with, the people you go to school with, they're holding you a higher standard too because you not only represent yourself and your family, but you represent the body of Christ. And we represent the body of Christ. So we want to make sure that we are um, standing up and— being the salt and light of the world and not seen as a grumpy bucket, right? (laughs) That's only upset about, like, one thing. It only talks about one thing. We are called to be the salt and the light. My question is, are you bringing hope to those around you? Are you bringing fear? Are you bringing excitement? Are you bringing hope for a future because your Lord is ultimately Jesus and you have hope? Are you bringing doubt Fear and all these other things. Like, what are what are you bringing to your places of work? You know, I see this attitude, and you know, I don't mean to call it out. And I think of this when I think of disgrace, and this kept coming up. I don't know how to word it. But it's this. So, the when it comes to politics, like there's there's obviously two major candidates. Some people vote for a third party, and that's fine. But there's two major candidates. Um, One of the candidates. Is known for being a little bit more I don't care what you think (laughs) like I'm gonna say it like it is if it offends you go beat dust I don't care what you think (laughs) one of the candidates is more open to (laughs) name-calling than another one and I'm not saying that like when you vote like you're not just voting for a personality like you're voting for their cabinet you're voting for their policies you're voting for the Supreme Court like you're voting for a lot of things so I'm not saying that should be your single thing what I'm saying is, if your guy, whoever that is, is the guy you're voting for, and he acts that way, he's not your master, and you should not emulate that. Even if you're voting for him, and that's okay, you shouldn't act like that when you're out and about in public. And I think sometimes, <laughs> like, and I know a lot of Christian people that are voting a, a certain way, and it's fine. Like, I'm not telling you that. But I'm saying is, if the person you're voting for like they take pride in how they put people down and treat people like crap that should not be your MO either right and you know again I watched the rally last week because it was in Muskegon it was kind of cool I watched it and just had it on in the background and I just hear like <laughs> my kids are around and I'm like dang like he's calling people names like sleepy so-and-so and <laughs> like dumb stupid idiot I'm like okay like that obviously, the personality is not going to change the way I vote, but my kids are hearing it. And number one, I just let my kids know, like, we don't act like that. I don't act like that. I don't call people stupid. I don't call people idiots. I don't call people jerks. And sometimes, if our master is a politician, we will emulate that. And you see people like that at work. Hey, this is the way I am. Screw you if you feel different. That's just how I am. I don't care about you. It's like, no, listen, If you act like somebody, like, there's one master that we should emulate, and that's Jesus. Well, you can vote for who you feel like is the most biblically-based candidate and pray about it, that's good. But if you treat people like dirt and all this other stuff, we'll end up disgracing the church. We'll end up disgracing the church. So the worst team, you guys can come up here. I just have this last thing. So whatever you say or post, always ask yourself these questions. Is what I'm saying lifting people up or is what I'm saying tearing people down is what I'm saying bringing hope or is it bringing fear is this going to build unity or is this going to bring division because honestly right now the way politics are they're made to push people into different camps and they're made to bring division hey, if you want to vote for this idiot, you vote for this idiot. If you want to vote for this moron, you vote for this moron, and you're both morons for whoever you vote for. It's like, you know what I mean? Like, you just can't win, and it's made to divide. And the church, like, starts to feel like this, and then we start name-calling and thinking these things, and this should not be its way. It's saying, if you look around everybody here, there's Biden supporters, there's Trump supporters in this room, and we got to each other in the bounds of love. Because politics should not divide us. shouldn't. We could be the church together. We're united around one thing, and that's the body of Christ. Amen? And that's what should divide us. And we can't let anything, this election included, divide us, distract us from what we ultimately should be doing, and disgrace us. Because the mission that we have is way bigger than that. The mission we have as a church is bigger than that, and the mission we have is better than that, because there's people out there that don't know Jesus, and they're dying and going to a place the Bible calls hell. And that's—what hangs on that is much more severe than what happens on November 4th. It's way more important. And so don't let election day distract you from judgment day, what really matters. And that people are lost. People need hope. Let me pray. God, I love you, and we worship you. God, we come before you uh, even to sing this last song, and put our hearts before you, God. I pray that we let nothing distract us as a church. God, I pray that nothing distracts us off our mission, nothing divides us and separates us, that we can all become one, and we see our fellow JRO partners as people of God as people of God, and brothers and sisters and not enemies, God, I pray that we don't fall into any tribe. The only tribe we fall into is is the tribe of you, Lord. And we recognize that we're all part of the same body. We might be different parts, but we're all a part of the same body. And so we got to be there for each other and love each other. God, we thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.